Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real. Uh, you're listening to the Science of the Life podcast with me, Hamish Clark. And today I'm joined by Julia Ryland, a PhD candidate at Western Sydney University. Hello, Julia. How are you going? Thanks I'm for very having well. me. Thank you for coming on. Um, I thought maybe we could start by you uh, introducing yourself to save me the work. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm sort of nearing the end of my PhD um, mm-hmm. and I'm studying mostly sort of behavioural ecology mating system questions about the Australian emu. Mm-hmm. Um, and so before that I was in Victoria at Deakin, mm-hmm. um, where I did other sort of bird related research, but I've, I've done a few other things, other bits of research along the way, but mostly mm-hmm. it's been sort of ornithological bird okay. research. Excellent. Um, and my project's sort of a little bit, um, divided. I have a, a management side of it where I'm mm-hmm. looking at how emus have disappeared across the East mm-hmm. coast of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and how whether there's any sort of um, population genetic differences or um, what are the issues in, in keeping them in some of the you know rapidly urbanizing areas mm-hmm. um, and on the on the other side I've got more of a theoretical side about uh, their male parental care because they've got quite an interesting mm-hmm. mating system so that's mm-hmm. what I'm Sounds, yeah, I'm always reluctant to ask PhD students how they're going because I don't want to <laughs> induce kind of, you know, <laughs> involuntary fits of, yeah. you know, stress or paralysis. How's, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you anyway, how's it going? It's going. It's going, It's yeah. going. It You're still be, alive. I'm still here. So still got your sanity. Exactly. I'm still, I still come in each day, so that's... <laughs> well, that's hard <laughs> for work, right? Win. Just turning up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's coming together now. It's a, mm. it's a tricky project because mm. no one else in Australia works on emus. Excellent. And You're now the emu expert. I am. I am. That's pretty cool. Um, and they haven't since sort of the 80s when things were done mm. a little bit differently. Yeah. Or early 90s. Okay. Um, so that's got a lot of challenges. They're not really yeah. like any other animal studies. So yeah. everything is um, a challenge to try to figure out how to fit other methodology to. Okay. Can you give us like, uh, an example of, of what you meant? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of things I can't do just in, in terms of I can't. It's, oh, it's very difficult to catch the animal. Mm-hmm. So um, at the start, I naively <laughs> thought I'd be able to um, tranquilize and sedate yeah. and then attach collars. And um, right, I did that okay. with about six or seven and then okay. decided – it was far too hard. Yeah, look, I'm going to have return. to. I'm going to have to interrupt you because I was uh, googling you, as as all good you know, interviewers do, and I noticed you have got an accreditation which includes the use of blowpipes. Yes, it does. Did, yeah. That's kind of awesome. Did, <laughs> did you? How did you do that? Yeah, so I just went to. There's a training course in New South yeah. Wales. Um, and I think I was... It wasn't um, just a blowpipe course, just for our listeners. It was various methods of tranquilizing. Yeah, that's right. It still kind of seems kind of crazy, but it, cool. It was yeah. pretty crazy. Um, I think I was a little bit more young and naive and optimistic about... It's nice to be young and idealistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, look, it's that was, that was one challenge. And then I also work on a farm where okay. I can catch them by hand. Wow. Um, but, you know, trying to take... Say, for example, body metrics of a of a kicking yeah. emu while you're trying to hold it. it's not not wow. easy. A little bit a little bit harder than a, hand, a bird you can sort of hold in one yes. hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. Okay. Well, how did you get into the area then? You mentioned that you've worked with a few different birds, but also other species. Was there some yeah. particular allure of the emu, or was it a project on offer, or a combination yeah. of things? Yeah, sort of a combination, I suppose. Mm. Um, I wouldn't. 
have said I would, I've always wanted to get into research on birds. Mm-hmm. That's just sort of been where the opportunities have come and sort yeah. of where it's led me. Um, and I have done some research on other things, mm-hmm. but um, it, was, it was a project that came up as part of uh, a management plan that's to be drawn up for a population in Western mm-hmm. Sydney. Okay. And I came across a project which was already advertised. A population of emus in Western Sydney? Yeah, yeah, there no, are. No, really? Yes, yeah, only about 20 minutes away from us. Really? Yeah, yeah. So they're... Oh, okay. um, it's a really interesting... It's going to be an interesting project to manage. Mm. Um, but, but that's what really drew me to it because okay. as I do want to get into research, mm. but I realised that it's it's pretty difficult mm-hmm. and to yep. have a few backup options. Amen. I hear you there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, to have a few backup <laughs> options, I think is, is yeah, always okay. good. So, mm. um, part of the uh, requirement for the project is to write a management plan for mm. this population, okay. which I felt was going to give me some really crucial mm. skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also had huge amounts of flexibility, which is a bit okay. of a double double uh, yeah, edged sword. Yeah. Um, but it has allowed me to do essentially whatever I have wanted to do what what I'm interested in. So um, that's really what drew me to the project. Mm. Um, Yeah, but before that, I mean, I've always been interested in the environment, more Mm. conservation Mm. um, side of things. And I studied conservation biology but was Mm. pretty interested from, you know, early Mm. pre-teenage years, I would say. Yeah, okay. Um, Something I always knew I would would get into. So you're always interested and passionate in conservation. But yeah. you weren't sure if that would end up in a career in research? No, and I didn't even, I don't think I really had an interest in, say, biology as such mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. like late high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more came from, we did a lot of travelling with my mum when I was mm-hmm. younger. Okay. So I got to visit some really amazing places, but mm-hmm. I also got to see, you know, um, some, some really sad things like yeah. really large deforestation and old mm-hmm. forests and mm-hmm. things like that when we were travelling. And I think that from a really early age, um, stuck yeah, with me. Yeah, effect on you. Wow. Yeah. So, can you change the world through science? <laughs> Very... <laughs> Just a simple question. Eh? <laughs> I think, look, if we weren't here, mm. if we weren't doing the research we were doing, mm. we wouldn't know the things we know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there wouldn't be any need for change if we didn't know. Mm. So, one person, mm. no. Sure, sure. You know, but... One institute, no. Yeah. But as a collective, I, mm. I have mm. to be optimistic. That yeah, I can. for sure. Oh, well, look, I, so I've, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but I've worked in climate change and bushfire and both areas, lots of fascinating science, but lots of um, uh, interesting psychological and social and political factors, which mm-hmm. means that it's not just a simple simple step of taking the science and running with it. There's all these other things to navigate. And that's kind of fascinating and, and really interesting is, too. Yeah. Because you, you, uh, yeah, you can't assume that people will run with it. And really you can't in any area of science, no. but in, in some you might have a bit less uh, friction, whereas in these, yeah, there's lots of different forces at play. Um, so yeah, I'm that's sure right. It's and fire is a perfect yeah. example. Um, mm. And I've sort of been lucky that I've had a few other opportunities that's taken me outside of science mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I haven't just sort of gone through yeah, okay. in through the education system back to yeah. back. Um, yeah. And so I've worked as a firefighter for a while mm-hmm. and it's and I, I can appreciate that that is a social issue mm-hmm. and, and, and a personal issue for a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. that there's farmers out there that need to earn a living and, and it's not something that we can change overnight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's why you hope that we're, we're <laughs> vaguely clever enough to come up with mm-hmm. solutions that are both socially sort of um, acceptable and mm-hmm. scientifically acceptable and try to find mm-hmm. some middle ground. Mm-hmm. That's, 
hopefully where I can <laughs> hopefully I have the intelligence to try to figure out well, some of those I'm sure you do you've gotten this right um, so uh, do you let yourself think about after the PhD what, what you might like to do or get up to um, other than maybe a long holiday yeah I think about sleep a lot okay. <laughs> um, that's probably the thing that I'm most looking yeah. forward to afterwards okay. yeah. uh, no I do um a lot, I, of mm-hmm. course. I think mm-hmm. everyone does, whether or not you mm-hmm. know, they they try to stop yeah, themselves. Of course, yeah, um, mm. yeah, look, I'd I'd really like to continue in research. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's going to hold you to this, by the way. But <laughs> just curious, what your thoughts are yeah. at the moment? But I think mm-hmm. um, in the current climate, with the, the small amount of money that's put mm-hmm. into research, um, you have to be pretty willing to make some big sacrifices to continue mm-hmm. on a path in academia and. Um, I don't know if that's something that personally mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to contribute to uh, the environmental sector in some way. I don't yep. think I could ever be outside of that yep. sphere, but whether or not that's in an academic sense, mm. um, yeah, I, I don't know yet. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that I probably am not willing to give up my whole life and travel wherever mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. in the world. There might be a job that I could possibly get, um, yeah. which is what a lot of people have to do, and I respect them for that. But yeah. um, for it's me, I easy. think, yeah, mm-hmm. I need more of a balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great if you know a bit about what you want and what you need too because, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, um, I think I look at things differently now. Um, than, than when I first came out of university and high school where, yeah, you are willing to travel at the drop of a hat. Now I've got a wife and kids and I'd still like to, but um, and you see other people who travel with kids and their partners have to find jobs and, and all those things and and it's not easy. But, yeah, as you say, there is uh, almost an expectation that if you want to work in science, you will be willing to mm. go and move. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I mean, I hope in future governments there'll be a little mm-hmm. bit more money mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. research in Australia mm-hmm. but uh, at the moment yes there's not a lot and no, it's no. pretty competitive to get that small pot of money I suppose yeah that's right it is hugely competitive um, but I suppose to, to flip things around um, there's the usual metrics of papers and things like that mm-hmm. but uh, governments and funders seem to care more and more about impact and engagement with society and the community yeah. so if you've got that experience that kind of grounding outside of science and the fact that you're working on a management plan and other things, then hopefully that's also of, of interest and value to people. Yeah, that's my uh, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> that's your strategy. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important to be able to communicate your research with people outside of science mm-hmm. um, and not just in the traditional paper sense because, let's be honest, there's very few people mm. that are going to actually read those papers. Yep. But um, it's a, there's a lot more people that it's applicable to. And, mm. and I think using some of those connections to be able to lead research is, is really important as well. So, mm. yeah, I, w- I would hope I could kind of continue to mm-hmm. include both. Mm-hmm. If I do continue in academia, I can still have outside. Mm. Well, that's one of the nice things about it is uh, for all its uh, difficulties, there's a bit of flexibility to, to try different things and work yeah. with different people. And, yeah, so that's that's definitely valuable. I definitely appreciate that too. Um, but you have already moved, you and Dick, and you were saying, and yep. you've also been in uh, Kosciuszko, you were doing some work there. Yeah. Um, how did you find those transitions? Was that something that you were yeah, uh, um, keen to do? or? Yeah, I think so. I, mm. I think one thing was after my honours, I knew that going to a different institute, being in a different place um, would help me in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I realised how much, though. I think it's given me a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. being outside my comfort zone and, mm-hmm. and 
you know, not being in a place where I know everyone and I know everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's really made me be resourceful in, in finding mm-hmm. new opportunities and um, and just making the most of being up here because I am away from my family and mm-hmm. away from most of my friends. And so, yeah. yeah, I think being up here has definitely pushed me to find opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Kosciuszko, that was a fairly easy transition because it's a, <laughs> it's a fairly beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. So, Were you um, there in winter or summer or both? Spring, summer, Spring? yeah. Spring, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, I was uh, looking at a mountain Katie did, which, uh, which they, is they're like a big grasshopper, okay, a fat grasshopper. Uh-huh. And, um, but they they got this particularly beautiful um, bright blue and red coloration, uh-huh. um, which is sort of what we were looking at. But yeah. uh, they they all die off during the winter, so right, so okay, so they all started to yeah, yeah okay, yeah. wow. Um, and so uh, if I could come back to the emus, then you were saying that there hasn't actually been a huge amount of research, at least lately. No, um, that not, would not at all. Possibly come really. as a surprise to some people. Uh, are they on our emblem? I don't even they, know. They are, called, yeah. What is it called? The coat of arms. They're on our coat of arms. <laughs> they're our national emblem. I think we're the only country that eats our national emblem. Um, and farms them. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, sorry, what's the question? Well, I guess just the the fact that we don't maybe know a lot about them, or maybe what we do know is. Uh, hasn't been re-examined uh, much yeah. recently. So no, there's not. Um, I think I think it's surprising to anyone who hasn't worked on emus. Mm. I think it's not surprising to anyone who has. And I had okay. a few people at the start say like, "Oh, oh good luck." <laughs> um, but it, no, I think I think it's just the difficulty in studying them, particularly mm. in the wild. So there's been actually more research done overseas where they farm oh. them more commonly than we farm them, oh, just okay. for um, financial yeah, logistical okay. reasons. Yeah. Um, and, and over here, most of the research has been done in farm populations just yeah, because okay. it's obviously so much easier to do. So what um, are the main products people are getting from Oil eggs? is the main oh. thing, yeah. Oh. So they do do a little bit of meat and eggs and things like that, but okay. oil is the main thing, which is sort of homeopathic. And, oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And is that in Australia or overseas or both? Both, okay. yeah. There's been a little bit of research done oh. on um, the properties that you know, the, the, the homeopathic properties, okay. but, um, wow. yeah, it's mostly overseas, mm-hmm. which interesting. is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite a bit that comes out of India. Okay. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, right, so people were wishing you good luck because <laughs> of some of the challenges of working with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're quite, um, um, surprisingly, they're quite elusive. So they, mm. even though they're, they're, they're massive, they're, you know, a mm. metre and a half tall, they're quite hard to find in the wild, um, particularly their nests. So mm-hmm. there's re- there's been no research done on wild mm-hmm. uh, breeding mm-hmm. or nesting. There's been one paper done just on observations of breeding behaviour in the mm-hmm. wild, and that's that's the only paper that's mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's funding as well. It's it's yeah. more expensive sure. to be able to 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 study mm-hmm. an animal like mm-hmm. this. And the other thing is that um, it's one of these one of these species that you're always going to have very minimal sample size because you're just mm-hmm. not able to get hundreds of animals mm-hmm. easily. So I think that deters people because in, in this day and age where we need publications, you know, to publish a high-end yeah. paper on sure, five yeah. individuals is always Yeah, tricky. okay. So I, I think that's why at least. Mm. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, emus then? What do we know about them? What kind of population numbers are there or how do they, what numbers do they hang out in? Yeah, well... As you can tell, I'm not an ecologist. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ornithologist. Yeah, we don't know a lot about um, in terms of 
they don't actually have population, so they mm-hmm. they're uh, often nomadic. They move mm-hmm. really long distances in Western Australia, uh, where most of the research has been done on wild birds. They can, mm-hmm. I think, it's about five hundred kilometers, and they follow rainstorms, um, wow. which initiates their breeding. So five hundred kilometers is the kind of range for an individual in its lifespan. I think, yeah, in the west, I think in the west it's different mm. because the resources are maybe a little bit more clumped. Mm-hmm. In the east of Australia, I th- I think things are different, but okay, the yep. research has been done on that. So, mm-hmm. um, just observationally, you definitely see particular individuals hanging out in a, in a much smaller area. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. that one paper that looked at the breeding behavior did, did mm-hmm. have quite a, much a much smaller area, but maybe mm-hmm. thirty kilometers or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, but they don't hang out in groups. Mm. So they they might hang out in groups around resources, um, but generally they're either solo or they'll be with a mate. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got a really interesting and unusual for bird breeding um, behaviour. So mm. they do hang out in pairs, but they're mm. actually polyandrous, which means that the female will mate with lots of different males mm. and then lay in lots of different nests. Mm. Um, and they also have male parental care which mm. is um, pretty unusual for birds so most Good birds yeah, yeah yeah so most yeah. birds have both the male and the female help look after it just because okay. it's you know it takes a lot of time to be able to incubate that egg externally mm. and mm. then raise the chicks um, when they hatch um, but there's a few species that have uh, only one mm. parent care and there's mm. even a few that have just male um, so, yeah, the female lays in multiple mm. nests mm. and she leaves yeah, okay. and he looks after them for around two months he sits on the nest mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, he, he he's with them for around 18 months. So, right, so yeah, they're kind got, of mature after. Yeah, exactly. Growth, yeah. Um, he doesn't sort of provide any in feeding or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's more mm-hmm. just protection. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty big okay. investment for the male. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're quite interesting in terms of some of the biology. They're, they're pretty unique. Mm. So what are their closest relatives? Do they have... The cassowary would be, okay. um, but they're part of the ratites. Mm-hmm. So that includes, you know, your ostriches and your rears, mm-hmm. um, mowers, kiwis, mm-hmm. things like that. So all of awesome. these these sort of uh, megafauna, mega flightless mm-hmm. birds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and mm-hmm. we all have a male, male system, predominantly male parental care system. Okay, right, yeah. cool. So um, uh, how are the population numbers? Are they kind of in decline? Did you mention they were in some areas yeah, or is it mixed? So there's been a lot of, again, it's my answer mm. to everything. There's been not a lot of research. Mm. Um, in some areas, their numbers have increased. Mm-hmm. So if you went to sort of um, uh, uh, Western New South Wales or South Australia, they would definitely tell you a different story. There's okay. huge numbers in agricultural areas where okay. they can become a pest. Okay. Um, but I think that they're quite sensitive to urbanisation as a lot of animals, mm-hmm. but, you know, particularly big animals yeah, like sure. that. Um, they were the, the last bird atlas data said that they were one of the species in decline. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so bird atlas is a bird out, exercise sorry, yeah. that measures yeah. populations periodically? Or, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they do it through citizen science, but it's mm-hmm. a little bit more systematic in in um, looking at different grids across the country and whether there's presence or absence, and, mm-hmm. and they, they compared that to their last one. Um, but definitely anecdotally, there's lots of evidence of, of emus across the east coast of Australia, um, east of the dividing range there, mm-hmm. a big rangeland going on yeah. north to south. Um, and, you know, but the, a lot of the first fleet hunted them, so mm-hmm. that dropped their numbers, mm-hmm. um, and then just since then it slowly declined across the east of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have one population left in northern New South Wales, which is endemic. Okay. And so we've just conducted a 
uh, genetic study on them where we found that they, they are quite distinct to the inland birds. They're okay. not a, nothing like a separate species or mm-hmm. a subspecies, but just a distinct population. So mm-hmm. they have obviously been separated for some time. Yeah, and, um, okay, wow. and, and while they're kind of common over the whole of Australia, mm-hmm. uh, what I find really interesting is that they have a really important ecological function, which okay. I think is, is a big problem is, you know, in the parts where they're disappearing because mm-hmm. they're one of the few species that can um, eat any sort of seed. They, they're a generalist, so they oh, eat okay. pretty much anything, mm-hmm. and they can transport really large amounts of, of non-specialist seeds, so seeds mm-hmm. that don't rely on a particular animal. They, mm-hmm. they can transport large amounts right, really, okay. really quite far distances, which um, ends up affecting your, your genetics of your plant yeah, communities. Yeah. So... Um, and there's been a little bit of work done on how the megafauna in Australia have mm. um, the, the the loss of megafauna in Australia have affected seed dispersal of some mm. plants. Um, okay. And really, our last sort of two, you know, or macrofauna, our last two big sort of animals, the mm. cassowary and the emu. And mm. The cassowary is sort of northern Australia, so the emu is really the last of mm. those those animals that can transport some of those seeds. So yeah, yeah. I think um, yeah, interesting. The ecological fun- the loss of their ecological function is probably a mm-hmm something that we need to be thinking about in the future. Yeah, so uh, so when governments are funding things, I'm guessing that uh, if you say the word threatened species or extinction, then that might get their attention. Um, yeah. If you can't do that, maybe it's a little bit harder. But if you can point to the role that they play in an ecosystem, maybe they would also pay, pay attention <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, maybe for a postdoc, someone will uh, yeah. give me some funding on that basis. But okay. it, is, yeah. it is tricky to get research done on very common species but mm. you know there's the argument that we should be studying the common species before mm. they become uncommon mm-hmm. um, it's a shame mm. that there's not more research done on yeah on yeah well thank you for what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> um maybe we could wrap up by just um hearing your thoughts on some of the day-to-day aspects of, of science so you do a fair bit of field work um but you're obviously in the office you're doing uh, management uh, stuff how do you how do you find the balance of the bits that you like that might um, there's not really any. <laughs> there's no bits you like. <laughs> uh, no, there's definitely bits I like, but it's very, um, you know, my fieldwork goes for six months ish. Mm. So they breed from uh, around April to sort of October. So there's mm. and and in that time, so I'm travelling up to northern New South Wales. Mm. So it's a seven hour drive up every. Oh, every speaking of travelling for your work, yeah, <laughs> I'm back every week. Wow. Um, and that's sort of quite intensive for that time. And then I'm completely in the office when it's um. So yeah, but I mean, I, I really like, I do like the balance. I like mm-hmm. having, mm-hmm. I like that about academia that you yeah. can have a balance between um, field work and sort of harder labour and then, you know, mm-hmm. more um, sedentary, but more mm-hmm. mentally That's sort of... That's my life, sedentary. Mentally <laughs> <laughs> stimulating. Um, but definitely the field work is intensive. Yeah. Um, just because of, you know, the travel and... Yeah. Is that is that something that you'd like to, mm-hmm. to keep because you see some researchers uh, try to keep it an element of field work and others kind of give away and they're just administrating all the time? Is it? <laughs> would you like to, to get out in the field or is that not kind of no, crucial to your... No, I I mean, I suppose it's one of those things that I'd like. I'd like to have more balance. So mm-hmm. um, I love being in the field and mm-hmm. I love doing field work. Uh, it's pretty exhausting being yeah. in the field that long yeah. and driving that sort of length of time. So Was there I any warning think... when you applied to do the... The scholarship. I guess you knew a little. You had some experience in field yeah, work. Yeah. No, there was no, there was no um, set plan at all. I mm. was sort of, you know, he 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 go study something mm. on emus and sort of figure it out along the way. So mm. when I first started, I did a, a month of travel just around New South Wales, Victoria, mm. um, 
in southern Queensland just looking for a site that I could yeah, use right. for my study and this one happened to be the best, you mm. know, the best choice. Um, right. So, Wow. Yeah. So... Uh, are you are people adequately supported to do field work? I mean, you're saying the balance is not easy. Um, is there, I guess, resources or, or guidelines or support? Do you travel with people? To, <laughs> do you have to travel with people? Um, what could we do better? Um, so I think mostly it's been I've been well supported. Mm. Um, you generally do have to be with someone, though I'm on a farm. So okay. the first season I did alone mm-hmm. um, and the second season I had volunteers. Um, so I think I think uh, financially, at, at least in Western Sydney, mm-hmm. we definitely have, I think we are pretty mm-hmm. well supported. Mm-hmm. I think probably what the biggest problem is is that um, the PhD system is just a one-size-fits-all yeah, okay. and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so people who are doing large amounts of field work, um, you know, really struggled to ever finish in time. Mm. And so they end up going unpaid for a significant yeah, amount of time okay. just because there's not, you know, your field work goes for six months and you're expected yeah. to at least get two, maybe three seasons. There's no mm. possibility in my yeah. mind yeah. Of, of finishing in three years, which is the time you get paid for. Mm. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing. But that's, that's huge, yeah, because yeah, it's not like you're raking it in either as a PhD student. <laughs> I, I was incredibly lucky to be paid to do a PhD in my day job, so... I didn't have to live as a PhD on a PhD student's wages. I think it's about so, $5 an hour or something like that. Bloody hell. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. here's to a high-paying job after the PhD. Yeah, we hope so. Or at least a bit more balance, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, well, look, thanks so much for your time, Julie, and all the best with your work. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Science at the Local podcast, available on iTunes, soundcloud.com slash scienceatthelocal, and all good podcast providers. Science at the Local is not just a podcast, it's also a series of bi-monthly talks by expert and engaging scientists delivered in a cosy setting to the good folk of the Blue Mountains. To find out more, go to facebook.com slash scienceatthelocal. Science at the Local is run by me, Hamish Clark, and Kevin Joseph. We're supported by the Inspiring Australia program of the Commonwealth Government and those good folk in the mountains I mentioned earlier. If you've got some time to kill on the internet, why don't you go to the show notes page on our website, scienceatthelocal.wordpress.com slash podcast. Science is real from the